Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. We're continuing our survey through the Gospel of Luke, which tells the story of God's salvation through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of King Jesus. Today is the fifth Sunday of the season of Lent. The season of Lent is a 40-day period of fasting and repentance leading up to Easter Sunday. The idea of Lent may sound grim, and it has that reputation to a degree, but for Christians, self-accusation is the road to restoration. Because of Jesus, we can mourn the deepest darkness in us and, and in the world around us, knowing that the light of God has come and is coming. The Bible says that Christians are united to Christ. In particular, we are united to His death and resurrection. His story is our story. And the church calendar is a helpful tool for driving this home because it patterns our corporate life after the life of Christ. So in the weeks leading up to Easter, we identify with His death, and in the weeks following Easter, we celebrate new life. During Lent, Christians exercise muscles, spiritual muscles, that tend to atrophy if we're not careful. We exercise moderation, sober reflection, self-denial, repentance, and relief to the poor. These practices are difficult to cultivate, especially in the midst of a society that offers constant diversions and distractions. So, does Lent make us gloomy people? No, of course not. Properly observed, Lent increases our joy. How so? Because although there is much to lament in this world, and there is, Easter is coming. Christians know that in the, in the midst of pain and suffering, resurrection is always on the horizon. And so we always have something to be joyful about. Lent is boot camp for a joy-filled people. Forty days of fasting is roughly a tithe of a year. We fast for 40 days and we feast for 325 days because hungry people are better at feasting. Lent teaches us to be hungry. Nobody stops by McDonald's on your way to the steakhouse because we want to be hungry when we get to the steakhouse. And that's what Lent is all about. Lent is not about observing do's and do nots. Lent is about living into the not yet. Lent is about delayed gratification, the denial of the self in service to others the death of the self, so that others might live. And so it's, it's possible to observe Lent wrongly, but it's possible to observe anything wrongly. And so we should think long and hard before we dispose of ancient, time-tested Christian practices, especially when they are centered and rooted in the life of Christ. Okay? That has very little to do with our sermon today, so we're going to shift gears and jump into Luke 18 and 19. The end of Luke 18 and the beginning of Luke 19 describe events which took place in a city called Jericho. Now, long before Jesus and the 12 disciples passed through Jericho, 
a man named Joshua, and the twelve tribes passed through Jericho. In fact, the, the Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua, or Joshua. And so this is not the first time that a Yeshua has passed through Jericho. When Joshua passed through Jericho, he destroyed the city completely, sparing only Rahab and her household. We read about that in the book of Joshua chapter 6. Centuries later, the prophet Elisha also passed through Jericho. Did he bring destruction? No. Elisha brought purification, healing, salvation, and restoration to the city Joshua destroyed. We read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2. So Jesus may share Joshua's name, but he's coming to Jericho in the spirit of Elisha in a manner similar to Elisha, where once there was military conquest and total destruction, there is healing and salvation. Jesus is redeeming Jericho. Now, before we read today's passage, uh, let me give a quick overview of Luke 18. The story of Zacchaeus is a good example of why we need to read the Bible in context. Context not only helps us to interpret the Bible accurately, but it also gives depth and color to the Bible that we might not have seen otherwise. As we'll see, context is going to be very helpful in understanding what Luke is trying to say through the story of Zacchaeus. So, chapter 18, there are three passages I want to highlight. Passage number one, following the parable of the persistent widow, which we covered last week, Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee was self-righteous, but the tax collector was willing to repent. And so Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Passage number two, the people are bringing their infants to Jesus for blessing, and the disciples rebuke them, but Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. Passage number three. Jesus encounters a rich man who has diligently kept the Ten Commandments his whole life. But when Jesus asks him to give his wealth to the poor, he becomes sad. And so Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Once again, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd coming by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, 
glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So Jesus comes to Jericho, and he encounters a blind man sitting on the roadside begging. This man is poor. He is among the poorest of the poor. He is utterly dependent upon others, like a child. And Jesus restores his sight, and in response, this man gets up and he starts following Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus exalting the humble. But Jesus also comes to Jericho to humble the exalted. And so we are introduced to Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So whereas the blind man is among the poorest of the poor, Zacchaeus is among the wealthiest. And yet, these men have something in common. Both the blind man and Zacchaeus are eager to see Jesus. We have a poor man who wants to see Jesus, and we have a rich man who wants to see Jesus. Let's read again, beginning in verse 3. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. It, all right. If, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably know this story. You probably know that song. Um, Zacchaeus is too short to see Jesus through the crowd, and so he runs ahead and climbs up into a sycamore tree to get a better view. Now, the sycamore tree is a species of fig, and fig trees are often representative of the nation of Israel. And there's, there's something worth exploring there. But, but this is what I really want us to see. Zacchaeus is receiving the kingdom of God like a child. He is small in stature, he is running ahead of the crowd, and he's climbing in a tree. Wealthy, powerful, dignified men do not run and climb trees. Zacchaeus looks like a child, and he's acting like a child. And what happens? Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Talk about inviting yourself over. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Why do the people call Zacchaeus a sinner? Well, because he was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he had made his fortune working for the Roman government. He was working for the man, the enemy of the people. Nobody liked this guy. His responsibilities as a tax collector would have rendered him ritually unclean, and he was quite possibly getting rich by defrauding his neighbors. 
Zacchaeus had sought to elevate himself by climbing on the branches of a tree representing the people of God. But more importantly, Zacchaeus had sought to elevate himself by climbing on the backs of the people of God. He had become rich by exploiting and defrauding God's people. So, Jesus issues a command, come down Zacchaeus. And what does Zacchaeus do? He comes down. He joyfully obeys. You see, in, in those days, many people saw Jesus, but few people heard Jesus. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, heard Jesus, and obeyed Jesus. Seeing Jesus led to hearing Jesus, led to obeying Jesus. Come down, Zacchaeus, humble yourself. Now remember, there were, there were two rich men back in chapter 18. The first rich man was also a tax collector, and the second rich man was a ruler. The first rich man was willing to be humbled, but the second rich man was not. And so at this point, we should be asking ourselves, which type of rich man will Zacchaeus be? Verses 8 to 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus humbles himself. He is like the tax collector in chapter 18. He does what the rich ruler was unwilling to do. He gets right with the poor. Whatever he has defrauded, he offers to restore fourfold. Now, this fourfold principle comes from Exodus 22. When a sheep was stolen, God's law required fourfold restitution. The thief was required to give four sheep in place of the one. In other words, Zacchaeus comes to see himself as a thief. And remember, self-accusation is the road to restoration. Repentance is a reorientation of the will. Jesus calls us to stop prioritizing ourselves and start prioritizing others. And this is what Christians mean when we talk about dying to the self. As one theologian puts it, true repentance is a Holy Spirit-inspired moment of self-annihilation. It's pretty intense. The defrauding tax collector is dead and the radically generous follower of Jesus has been resurrected in his place. Zacchaeus shows us what it looks like when a camel passes through the eye of a needle. When a rich person enters the kingdom of God, it looks like getting right with the poor. Now, of course, th this doesn't mean that every wealthy person is guilty of fraud. It's not inherently sinful to have money. And the goal is not for everyone to be poor. But here's the reality. King Jesus is welcoming the nations into his kingdom right here, right now. 
And the church is at the very center of that kingdom. This is a kingdom marked by self-sacrifice, generosity, hospitality, familial love, and according to 2 Corinthians, fairness. In other words, the kingdom of God is a kingdom wherein the rich steward their wealth for the benefit of the poor. The kingdom of God is a kingdom wherein the rich don't get to live as richly as their peers because they have poorer members of the family to think about and to care for. And that can be a tough pill to swallow. The world is not full of wealthy people eager to join a community like that. A community that functions like an interdependent family. A community that actually places obligations upon those who have been given much. But that's what the kingdom of God is like. If the Lord has blessed you with more than most, or even if he hasn't, he's calling you to steward what he has given you for the kingdom. Your bank account is loaded with kingdom power. The only question is, will that power remain potential or will you make it kinetic? Will you release your grip and allow the Lord to use it? The rich ruler was in bondage to his wealth. It wouldn't let, he wouldn't let it go and it wouldn't let him go. But Zacchaeus humbles himself makes himself like a child, repents, puts to death his selfish desires, and gets right with the poor. And witnessing this, Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. Just like Isaac, who faithfully followed and obeyed Abraham to the point of death, Zacchaeus is willing to follow and obey Jesus no matter what's asked of him. There's no price that Zacchaeus is unwilling to pay because he has judged the kingdom of God to be of greater value than his wealth. Okay, now at the, at the end of verse 10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is another reference to Ezekiel 34, which Paul Ramsey talked about a few weeks ago. Ezekiel 34 was written centuries before Jesus was born. And it says that because Israel's shepherds had failed the flock, God himself is going to come as the great shepherd to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is that great shepherd. So what do you think he is wanting to see from rich, powerful men like Zacchaeus? Jesus is wanting to see a demonstrated concern for the safety and well-being of the flock. Jesus wants to see Zacchaeus repent of feeding upon the flock and join with him in feeding the flock. And so Zacchaeus reorients his heart toward the poor, and just as important, he reorients his budget toward the poor. Again, there, there is no price that Zacchaeus is unwilling to pay because he has judged the kingdom of God to be of greater value than his wealth. I like to imagine that the blind beggar was actually one of the recipients of Zacchaeus' generosity. After all, he would have been following Jesus at that point. 
He would have been a member of that crowd. So as I said earlier, Jesus comes in the spirit of Elisha. He brings healing and salvation, but actually there's a, there's a sense in which Jesus comes in the spirit of Joshua too. Because when Joshua comes to Jericho, he levels it. And so does Jesus. When Jesus comes to Jericho, he levels things out. The humble are exalted and the exalted are humbled. The valleys are filled and the mountains are made low. And actually, Luke has already told us to expect this. Luke chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. This is quoting Isaiah 40. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Jesus levels Jericho because the kingdom of God is level. In our world, metaphorically speaking, the rich live on mountains and the poor live in valleys. Not so in the kingdom of God. By comparison, the kingdom of God ought to appear level. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about socialism. I'm talking about voluntary generosity. I'm not talking about the compulsory redistribution of wealth. I'm talking about Christian love. I'm, I'm talking about the church as family. I'm talking about hearts that are transformed by the gospel of grace. In a city like Houston, which is largely segregated, the church is called to exist as a community which crosses ethnic and socioeconomic boundaries, united together within a loving communion of mutual service and others-oriented care and concern. The gospel undermines the hierarchy between rich and poor. And if you, if you don't like the sound of that, then I would caution you against praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because if God grants us that prayer, things are going to start leveling out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. I say this not as a command. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In other words, Jesus levels with us. Our God had the astonishing humility to place himself beneath us in order to raise us up. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. And chapter 9, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So it's a privilege. People who give generously 
are being given the divine gift of giving. People who give generously are being given the divine gift of giving. It's, it's a simple formula. Jesus was rich and we were poor. Jesus became poor so that we could be rich. Jesus teaches us how to live. Therefore, we are generous in every way. By His grace, God, God forgives us. By His grace, God transforms us. By His grace, He uses us to extend His grace to others. And that is the story of Zacchaeus in a nutshell. Zacchaeus is the one lost sheep for whom Jesus leaves the crowd. Zacchaeus is that one lost coin for whom Jesus sweeps the entire house. Zacchaeus is the prodigal son for whom Jesus throws a welcome home party. As the crowd is outside grumbling, as the crowd is grumbling, the angels in heaven are singing with joy. So, humble yourself materially that you might be exalted spiritually, that we might all be exalted spiritually. Receive the kingdom of God like a child. Don't store things up like a camel. Trust God for your daily sustenance and then let him use you as a conduit for the daily sustenance of others. Now, let me say this. It's good for the Bible to challenge us when appropriate. And so if today's sermon was challenging, I'd encourage you to lean into that. But it's also good for the Bible to affirm us when appropriate. We are not a perfect church, but we are often faithful to love and care for one another as family. We are located in a wealthy neighborhood, but our church is more level than the world around us, and that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our midst. So be encouraged by that, and pray for more of that. Be willing to step into more of that. I love you, Sojourn. It's, it's a joy and a privilege and an honor to call you family. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for, for giving grace. We thank you for transforming grace. And we thank you for the privilege of participating in the extension of your grace to others. Jesus, we want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to obey you. So we, we invite you into this place. We invite you into our homes to teach us how to live. We receive you joyfully. And Holy Spirit, thank you for the fruit that you are bearing here in our midst. And we, we ask for more. Whatever the cost, we ask for more. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.